This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Time for Pet Chat. I'm Jane Klein. Joining me today is our pet vet, David Tabret. Hello, David. Hi, Hi, Jane. Now, you did tell us you were going to talk about a really interesting topic today. I know, Halloween. Halloween. Mm, It's always a bit of a mystery to me because it's not a big you know, subject in Australia, but it's gradually people are sort of adopting it. But what about animals and how do they relate? And so, yeah, there's, I've done some research and there's some very interesting things to talk about. That's coming up next. Of course, we'll be taking your calls as well on Pet Chat a little bit later in the program. Welcome to Pet Chat. And as we promised you a very good topic today, David Tabret. Yes, look, and I know Halloween isn't, you know, we tend to think, oh, it's an American tradition, but guess what? It actually goes back a lot further than that. It's a, a very ancient pagan festival um, from the Celtic culture, so it's been imported or pretty much or to a whole lot of areas around the world, but it's really been, obviously been taken up uh, over in the United States and it's turned into this huge event. And um, gradually people are... You know, I, I know that um, we've, we've stocked up with the lollies next to the door because right. I imagine that... We're expecting we'll, something. We will, we will. But people come dressed as all sorts of things and we tend to think, you know, black and this idea of spirits and so on. But what about the black cat? Because that's often tied in with it as well and, you know, we're very superstitious about... Oh, Friday the 13th is not a good time to uh, see a black cat crossing your path. Oh, you're giving they me hairs on the back <laughs> of my neck are going up now. But um, it's not Friday the 13th, so... Oh, uh, no, that's right. Friday the 30th, which is good. Yes. Um, so black cats are very interesting as well. They And same thing, they go back such a long way uh, with the tradition. They're actually considered good luck in the British Isles, but bad luck on the European continent. And um, so, well, yeah. that is interesting. Yeah. Do you think that's with with certain amounts of uh, movement of people from one area to another, as we have at the moment, migration? Is that going to change a bit? Do you think? Do you think the cat will keep its good reputation in some places? Well, the funny thing is that um, the black cats. I think the idea of bad luck is really sort of stuck with them. I'm afraid, and uh, you know, it's probably. Not really their fault at all, but uh, as a result, what they've found is in um, uh, pet adoption centres and rehoming facilities, you know, RSPCA and things like that, the, the adoption rate of black cats is actually really low compared so, to other colours. Uh, so the bad reputation is... Mm. Mm. Yeah, so even though, you know, we sort of say, well, it's superstitious and what does it really mean? It doesn't mean anything, but there's been a lot of symbolism attached to it. And if you go way back... Um, into the Middle Ages, people were very superstitious of black cats, and so they tended to kill all the cats. And cats in general were thought to be, you know, shape-shifting type characters, hung around with these uh, witches and things like that. So they killed them all, and unfortunately, cats actually serve a really good purpose in those um, communities where they were actually f- cleaning up the rat population. And uh-huh. so what happened was... When people went round and superstitiously killed the cats, unfortunately the rat population boomed and as such a lot of disease, including black plague. And so it led to a lot of deaths. So, you know, keep a cat, keep them healthy and it'll keep the plague away. Ah. <laughs> now, That's the other... Lesson. Well, it is, yes, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, we're probably a little away from the plague, hopefully. Um, the other thing is that uh, since then, though, that the poor old cat has been attached symbolically to a lot of things. And in fact, even in the field of, get this, Jane, 
industrial relations. How does a cat mm. come into that? Well, a frightened black cat, the symbol of a frightened black cat with the arch back and everything, paints this picture of um, uh, the superstitious character. And what happened was that in a, the, you know, militant unions, I'll say that, um, in a workplace that they're not happy, what they used to do was they would send a message to the boss was someone would bring a black cat in and just let it walk around and the boss would go, uh-oh, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> and so they'd try and sort out the workplace and then the black cat would go over to the next factory. Being taken there, of course. Mm, what a negotiating technique, mm, see? Yes. Yeah, yes. I'll just bring the cat. Mm-hmm. So, and it worked. <laughs> and it worked. So we've probably moved away from that, okay, but um, it's very interesting. The poor old cat, much maligned. Um, in my experience, black cats, they're just the same as any other cat. I'd probably have a black cat over, you know, some other cats that might want to scratch a bit more often. I don't know, but it's all superstitious. So just can I just follow that up? Scratch a bit more often. Do you mean cats of a different colour might have other problems? I do this all the time. I'm going to get into trouble with cat owners now. (laughs) (laughs) Look, in my line of work, all right, um, sometimes we have to like maybe give them an injection or something, and that's not very nice. And um, so we have to be very careful. Um, some cats have a much greater tolerance, and they're more happy for us to do things to them. And um, you know, sometimes we find that some cats, maybe some particular colours, I don't want to say which, they probably don't like a needle as much as some other colours. Can I say it that way? I, think I don't want to get into trouble. I don't want to get into trouble. Think of all these people wanting to make their cats as care-friendly Yes, but they're not possible. sticking needles in them. That's only my problem. Okay. All right. Okay. So this is only oh, something no. you're going to keep to yourself. I'm just letting this, this rope I'm dangling here. It's a noose. Okay. We'll have some thinking about different coloured cats mm. and come back maybe anyway, all right. with some more uh, things on pets. And, of course, we're very happy to take your calls uh 49216216 will get you through to us and david is ready with all his vet stuff to help you through any of your questions you're listening to pet chat david tabret is our vet today and 49216216 is the number to get your question through to david and bardi has done that and joins us hello bardi hello how are you hi hi david how are you good what can we do for you well, I've got a white cat, and they're supposed to bring up fur balls fairly regularly, aren't they? Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, cats are self-grooming all the time, of course, keep their coat clean, and some their their tongue has these little barbs on them, yep. and that actually drags the hair out of their coat, so they're often ingesting a lot of that. They don't necessarily vomit them up, but it's not uncommon, that's for sure. Oh, okay, because I was just getting a bit concerned because my cat hasn't sort of... I haven't seen a furball for about six months. Right, okay. So do you normally... um, Has she normally been bringing them up for you? Well, when I first got her, I got her through the RSPCA um, and I've only had her probably for about eight months. Mm -hmm. But the first first month I had her, she did it twice, brought them up. Right, okay. And what are you feeding her at the moment? Uh, well, I was feeding her on whiskers dry food mm-hmm. and tin food. And do you give her anything for the fur balls? No, I didn't know what you can give them. Well, there's actually um, there's a couple of things that you can do. Uh, 
and it may or may not be necessary, but I think in a in a certainly in a medium to a long hair cat, it's probably a good idea that um, that you do use a, a preventative. What you can get there's a um, it's like a gel. It's a paraffin gel that's caramel flavored called Catlax. Catlax. Yeah, and you give that to them if they're actually having problems at the time. Then you probably give it to them every day. But otherwise, as a preventative, I would use it maybe twice a week. Mm-hmm. And what you do is. It's very hard to give cats medication. We were just talking about that. So it comes as a gel. and you, What you need is about oh, one knuckle length, if you like. So you squeeze it out like toothpaste onto your finger. Mm-hmm. And you can either put it on the roof of their mouth or you put it on their front paws. Right. On, it, on both sides. And what they do is they just lick it off. Mm-hmm. All right, that makes life easy. Right. Now, you can do that. The other, the other thing that you can do is you can actually buy food, dry food, that's called hairball control diet. Yeah, well, actually, I did get uh, a couple of days ago. I bought one of those. Yeah, they're very good. They it's work. A, it's only been a couple of days that she's been on it now. Yeah, they, they it works very well. Um, one of the cats we used to have, if we fed a hairball control, we might get a hairball once every six months. Oh, if, okay. You know, and if we didn't feed her the hairball control, it'd be every week. Really? Yeah, it it does work quite well. Okay, I thought it worked the opposite way. Yeah, it reduces a. The frequency of problems, because what it does is it binds, uh, it sort of drags the hair through their system, so it comes out the other end in the litter box. Oh, right. Mm. So, so I'm maybe worrying a little bit too much? Well, if you're really, you know, you really want to check it out, then check out the litter tray. But uh, I'd say, unless she's showing problems, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right, thank you very much, David. No worries. Thanks, Barty. And, uh, David, um, I'm intrigued to hear that it is actually a good thing for cats to bring up hairballs. Oh, look, yeah, the problem, the problem is that they sit and groom and groom and groom and groom and groom and the hairballs can get quite large and they sit in the stomach and they, they wrap up into a little ball and normally there's not that. There's not supposed to be that much and it's supposed to, you know, go all the way through... I have had to do surgery on cats that have had an obstruction down in the small intestine. Um, because the, of hairballs. Yeah, they can get quite compacted. And and also some that are in the stomach. But generally, if they're in the stomach, they're able to vomit them out. Um, but if you're using the hairball control diet or the cat lax, or sometimes both, as I mentioned, then that usually keeps the problem away. And regular grooming and brushing as well. So they get the hairballs because they're grooming themselves yep. and they're swallowing the hair That's rather right. than spitting it out, being yes. polite creatures. Yeah, their, their tongues have got these little backward-pointing barbs on, their, um, on the t- surface of the tongue. So as soon as they lick through the coat, they pick up the dead hair and uh, it just goes through their system. So the, the things that you were mentioning to help them get rid of the, the hairballs, how do they work? Well, one is a um, the the catlax is basically a laxative. It's a paraffin, caramel flavored paraffin, so it just makes everything slide through a bit easier. The other one, the Hebel Control, it relates to the the particle size and the fiber size that they include in it. So it has a slightly higher insoluble fiber content, which means that that actually drags through and doesn't get digested, and it ends up going into the large bowel and it takes everything with it. So it's sort of pushing things through as well. But if they get an obstruction, then it's like an obstruction from any cause. You know, they'll end up with some abdominal pain, their appetite will go off, and they'll start vomiting. And so that's where we need to get veterinary attention because, as I mentioned, sometimes that requires surgery. 
Now, I seem to remember at some stage you said that cats really just need to eat meat. They don't need vegetables. And is that, Am I correct in that? Their diet is a very uh, high protein. So generally, and compared to dogs, I think, is probably more where we're looking at it. So dogs are what we call omnivores. Their protein levels sort of 25%. Cats will tolerate much higher protein levels. If you eat higher protein and your body's not really set up for it, it does put a strain on the kidneys and sometimes on the liver, although if you've got a nice healthy liver you'll be fine, but certainly a strain on the kidneys. So cat kidneys are designed far differently to dogs and people and everything. They're designed to deal with this extra protein load. I seem to remember also that when my cats, when I was young, when they uh, were, as we said, off their food perhaps or not feeling quite 100%, they'd go out and eat some grass. Yeah, they'll sort of self-purge because grass is a bit irritating, so then it'll, it'll make themselves vomit. But having said that, all cats that eat grass doesn't mean... Some just like to eat grass and they don't necessarily vomit. And I've seen some people come in and they say, oh, this... We're going to call the cat, you know, Daisy the cow because she just eats so much grass um, and they don't always vomit. But yes, that's the general rule and it helps to keep their, their gut healthy as well. So what goes in must come out. That's the, that's the rule I live by anyway. So <laughs> Sounds fair. You're listening to Pet Chat and we are happy to take your calls. 49216216 will get you and your question through to David. And you're listening to Pet Chat. 49216216 is the number for you to, to ring. And I'm hoping we have Yvonne on the phone. Hello, Yvonne. Yes, hello. How are you? Fine. You've got a question for David? Yes, I have, David. My, my cat, mm-hmm. her, bre- her breath smells terribly and I don't know what to do about it. Uh. Apart from that, she's very healthy. Oh, okay. How old is she? I'm not sure. I think she's about eight, but she just wandered into our garden about uh, six years ago as a full-grown stray. Yes. So I'm, I'm assuming she's about eight. All right. And what sort of, um, what diet does she have at the moment? Little tins of uh, fish, little tins of cat food. Mm-hmm. Mostly, mostly tinned fish. Yep. And any, any dry food at all? Yes, but she doesn't like that. I always have a bowl there for her, but that's only when she's really desperate, which isn't very often. Sure. And does she eat any, um, you know, chicken wings or anything like that that's going to help her teeth? No, she doesn't. Okay. Um, It's a very common problem. In fact, we estimate, you know, upward of probably 60, 80% of um, cats and dogs that present, and certainly at that age, um, it's really up high, about 80% of animals that come into the vets for whatever reason will have some degree of dental disease. So bad breath or halitosis is most likely due to dental disease and sometimes it's invisible. Sometimes you can't see where it's happening but there are some clues and we do a little test um, and you can, you can do this at home as well called flip the lip. So basically you have to just lift that lip up on both sides, one, one side after the other. Have a look along where the teeth come into the gum and the gum should be the same colour as the, the rest of the gum up above. So sometimes we see a little red line along that gum. Now that indicates gingivitis and gingivitis is a bacterial disease of the gum 
and it's caused by uh, problems associated with plaque on the teeth and bacteria down in the little, what we call the gingival sulcus. So there's a little pocket that sits where the tooth adjoins, and what happens is saliva and a bit of food material, um, and sometimes this plaque starts to build up in there, and that cause, allows bacteria to proliferate, and then you get gingivitis. And that will lead to bad breath. Now, the reason why, why do cats get bad breath more often with gum disease is because of the type of bacteria. So they get pretty nasty sort of bugs in their mouth. And um, to get it cleaned up, it really often requires um, a full dental treatment where the gums, underneath the gum, the tooth surface needs to be cleaned and then the whole of the tooth surface itself. And it, all the stuff that's invisible can be actually cleaned off. Often vets will use an ultrasonic scaler and then polish the teeth as well afterwards. Right. So that's, right. that's the key thing. And if you do have a look, if you see any loose teeth or if you see any brown stains or any large um, creamy white, um, it's almost like cement actually, it's called calculus on the teeth, that's uh, a more progressive stage of the disease. And it indicates that you're starting to get what we call periodontal disease, which is where the ligament's breaking down, the, the bone's starting to get involved. So at that point, you know, you can have gingivitis in some part of the teeth, you can have healthy teeth there, and you can have periodontal disease all at once. Okay, so that's the best, best start point. There are some other causes, but generally you've probably got to rule out dental disease, you know, nine times out of ten. Right. Right, very good. All right. Thanks. Okay. Well, you're listening to Pet Chat, and 49216216 is the number for you to get your question through. David's here until 1 o'clock today, 49216216. Now, David, a story about a dog. A little dog, mm-hmm. a poodle, Maltese, something around about that size, may not be a poodle. Right. Anyway, um, belonging to someone we know and is, has trouble getting up onto the next step when going up steps. Oh, okay. Now, is there what sorts of things might be going on there? It's always a good clue is that when animals come in and they, they might have some vague lameness, I always ask people about is the problem worse going upstairs or downstairs? Because if they're going downstairs, then I always think, okay, front legs, elbows, shoulders. If they're going upstairs, we're thinking knees and hips. Okay, so I'd be worried back legs problem, and very common in those little dogs there's uh, that they often get slipping kneecaps, where their patella uh, slips around onto the inside of the leg. So if you put your hand on your kneecap right now, right, and just imagine how it would feel if it suddenly popped right around on the inside. And the only way you can do that is if your leg's actually straight and there is a a deformity in the bone and what happens is when they're walking as the leg straightens it slips around and gets caught and then they can't actually bend their leg properly and this is a conformational fault that's seen in quite a few breeds um, over uh, different types of dogs generally the smaller breeds they tend to slip onto the inside larger breeds great danes get it um, where they slip around to the outside uh, but um, can you just clarify for me whereabouts is the patella on a dog's hind leg? Same. Oh well, if you start at the hip up on, on the rump and run your hand down, it's the, the just uh, I guess what we call yeah the dog's knee joint. It's the the one that's pointing forward. The one that's further down is their hock, which is their ankle that's pointing backwards. So it's uh, closer to the body. 
and um, you can, you know, put your hand on the front of the dog's leg and just move the the foot up and down and feel the joint moving, and you can feel the kneecap. Now, the kneecap, the patella, sits in a ligament called the patella ligament. It's not very inventive, um, and it actually arises from what we call the quadriceps groups of muscles, and it attaches to the tibia. So when your leg is bent, if you contract your quadriceps, the tendon pulls the uh, bottom half of your leg up. Now what happens is if it's around on the inside, it can't move at all, and so it's very hard to move. Now the reason why that happens is a few reasons, but there's often some conformational problem in the hip and also a conformational problem in the uh, bottom of the leg. So where our femur, which is the thigh bone, has two ridges on it and the patella is supposed to sit in between the ridges and oftentimes the ridge on the inside is a lot shallower and so it allows it to slip around. And in a lot of dogs often require surgery to get that right, to get it fixed. Mind you, surgery is very good um, at uh, getting it fixed and um, if it's done early, you can avoid further problems. But a lot of dogs will have some ongoing arthritis or existing arthritis. So it's not, un, you know, they're usually going to end up with some medication if it's a persistent problem. Conformational means according to the... The, the structure of the structure. bones, yeah. So everything should line up. And one of the things we do in surgery is, um, you know, we put everything back where we think it should be and we look at it, we actually get it and go, okay, well, the foot's straight, the hock's straight, the knee's straight... Yes, we're happy with that position and we look and see how much tension there is and if there's still too much pull onto the inside, we might have to do you know, some other procedure to help release that tension. Once we get them back into place, it then allows the dog's leg to grow properly if it's done at a young age or at least avoid arthritis if it's done older. Mm. Mm. 49216216, that's the number to get your question through to David. Michelle joins us. Hello, Michelle. You've got a question for David. Hi there, David. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> I have a new um, puppy, a spaniel. He's now six months old. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the sixth spaniel I've owned. And I am just finding him so different from my other spaniels. Um, he's just a high-octane dog. And <laughs> my whole day is consumed with keeping him out of mischief. It's just He's just taken over my life, and I just don't know what to do. I get up at 6.30 in the morning. Yep. I walk in for 2Ks. Mid-morning, we play soccer ball. In the afternoon, he needs another walk. Um, in he's the meantime, I'm playing with him. Um, and he also has these little fits where he goes absolutely psycho and he tears around the place, jumps across the top of furniture. I can't believe what I'm seeing. He's, uh, he certainly does sound like high octane. He's, it's, um, what sort of spaniel are we talking about? He's a golden cocker. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. And... Um, well, as you see, they're all different. All got different personalities. But uh, the personality. <laughs> he'll wear you out. I am feeling exhausted. It's like having a, a two-year-old around. Just, just look at the positives. You, you know, you can build a whole fitness program around this dog, and that's fantastic. But well, that's nice. But I was already fit. Ah, there you go. <laughs> ready to sit back and relax. Yeah, I just, um, I, I really just don't know how to slow him down. I, I mean, it's become such a serious issue for me. Mm. That I want to give him away now, and that's awful. I've, I've never given away a dog. You know? Well, he's I he's at an age, people. he's at an age where he's just got so much energy. But will he stop? Well, uh, I, I've just generally, seen, I've seen another dog like this. Yes, um, and he's eleven years old, and he's still doing it. Oh, crikey! <laughs> 
Oh, look, the general general rule is, you know, they'll start their maturity kicks in and they'll slow down and settle down, not just because um, they've got all this exuberant energy. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a lot of dogs, certain breeds are much more energetic and, you know, want to run all day and so on. So and spaniels are like that, and mm. I'm used to that. Um, but this is above and beyond. Beyond so. that, yeah. <laughs> I just don't know what to do. He's a very teachable dog. He can... Um, you know, he's going to sit and drop, and he's pretty obedient. Um, yep. But then he has the, these back attacks. And, and, and then the night he jumped on the bed and I asked him to get down, because he's an inside dog, and I don't mm-hmm. mind that. Um, and then he growled at me, and I've never encountered this in my life before, the Spaniel. He's probably testing a few boundaries. Is he desexed? Yeah. No, he's not. Um, but he will be in mm. a week. Yeah. yeah. You may find some change there, just simply because some of that behaviour may be testosterone driven. Uh, no, I don't know that it's doing this since he was six weeks old. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know that it's going to make a big difference to his energy level, but hopefully he's not going to decide he's going to test the boundaries with you. Yeah. Um, I gather that you've only got the one pet at the moment. I have. I'm not going to suggest two because that oh, could be double trouble. It would be. But uh, oftentimes finding a playmate for him that he can spend the day and certainly a slightly older dog um, with a similar level of energy can often they'll run each other ragged. Yeah. Um, there are um, through dog clubs, through um, vets often know people through their puppy um, classes. Mm-hmm that they'll uh, know people who might want to put the dogs together. I do know that some people um, take the dogs to some... There is doggy daycare where they'll actually exercise the dogs during the day and wear them out for you. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but there's a cost to that. There is a cost to that, that's right. um, Yeah, um, he loves other animals and he does need... He does need a, a, a cat sister or, or a puppy brother. I know that because, you know, he gets together with other animals and he just, just adores them. But when we've got our family around, um, he is also preoccupied with them and he doesn't demand that second walk. So I know, right. you know, he's, he's highly intelligent. He's, yep. um, but, oh, man, I'm just, I've, got, had, I've got to live. <laughs> did you, um, did he do puppy preschool? Did you take him to puppy no, preschool? I didn't take to puppy preschool probably because with all my other spaniels I've been able to yeah. train them and train them well yeah and I thought that he would be the same and he's, no, he's not a bad boy no yeah well on there's a socialization aspect there which and also I'm thinking about sort of the networking side too that yeah. I know that um in places where I've worked where they've had puppy preschool, sometimes people often keep in touch and they get together yeah. down at the park with their dogs yeah. but what I would suggest you do is contact your vet about um, you know, if they know of any uh, dogs, uh, owners with dogs that might want to get together for regular sort of exercise, then it might be a case of take them to a, a leash-free park or to the beach. Two dogs together, they're going to run each other ragged far more than you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of times a week, maybe that might be able to squeeze that into the schedule and it may make a big difference. Um, desexing might help as well. And um, just generally as he starts to age a bit more, his energy levels should start to slow down, but promise? no promises. <laughs> <laughs> um, just one other thing. Mm-hmm. When, also, when we leave him, he's, he's just um, because I've stopped work now and I do spend a lot of time with him. Um, he's just used to having me around a fair bit, and whenever I go out, he upchucks. Okay. So oh, I don't want him to be one of these dogs that's so dependent and why yes. I'm not there. And Separation anxiety. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, what you need to do is when you get home and you find that, first of all, don't make a fuss about it at all and put, no. him, put him outside yep. and out of sight, all right? So he cannot see you clean it up. Mm-hmm. And you have to ignore that because you're not there when he does it yep. and it's an anxiety-driven behaviour. So there's no way that you can then say, oh, you're a naughty dog, you did no, that. I wouldn't. No, it just won't. It has no impact whatsoever. But what you do need to do is not let him see you cleaning it up. And why is that? Um, he would then reflect back and say, oh, yeah, now she's doing that for me. And if yeah. we're talking about this behaviour as he's hitting yeah. puberty, mm. um, he starts to rethink about where he sits in the household mm. as well. Yep. Um, and so I'd make sure he's just out of sight when that happens. Mm-hmm. The other thing, there are some strategies that you can use for um, dealing with separation anxiety. And um, I'll give you a um, web site to go and have a look at there's some really good articles and this is for everyone because there's Mm -hmm. thousands of articles about um, pets and pet health and it's written by specialists and i know that they've got some good stuff about separation anxiety particularly in the early stages so it's um www.veterinarypartner so it's v-e-v-e-t-e-r-i-n-a-r-y-p-a-r-t-n-e-r.com Okay. It's just dot com, and that um, that website has fantastic resources. Uh, and in this issue of separation anxiety, if you can get a few things happening before, as you've identified, before it turns into a problem, mm-hmm. um, you know, hopefully we'll avoid further hassles later on. Okay, we'll wish you luck on that one, Michelle. Yeah, Thanks give us call. give us a call back in about a month and see how those hormones <laughs> have settled down with him. All right. Guys. Thanks, Thank Michelle. This is Pet Chat on 2NURFM. And, David, it's that time of year. It's getting warm. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is, isn't it? We've talked about ticks being out um, last couple of weeks and months, and they certainly are. But uh, I had a, a very disturbing report last night, actually. One of the veterinary nurses from Mayfield uh, Veterinary Hospital was talking to me and said they had th- three dogs come in in one day with snake bite. Um, which is incredible uh, because, you know, we tend to think, well, Mayfield's only just down the road and it's all surrounded by houses. Let me tell you, there are black snakes in Newcastle local area, absolutely, and they're, they're right into the suburbs. So they're out and about. Now, look, the Are they more dangerous at this time of year? Oh, uh, they're dangerous all the time. <laughs> they're dangerous all the time. Black, you need... Can I just also suggest, too, we did have someone at at the emergency centre bring in a dog that had um, suspected brown snake bite, and they brought the brown snake with them, which they killed with a shovel. And my advice to them was that most people who get bitten by a snake are in the process of trying to chase it and kill it. Leave them alone, all right? We can do things and identify snakes uh, with blood tests and so on, we don't really? we don't absolutely have to have the snake. If the animals killed the snake, then sure, bring it in. Again, be very careful though, because even after they're dead, if you're handling around the head and this has happened, you can get bitten. Um, you know, there have been cases where people have been silly and playing with the snake's head and it has uh, bitten them. So, just be very aware. Snakes are a protected species because they're native um, fauna, so don't go and chase them. You're only going to get into trouble. And just look out and keep away from wood piles and, you know, around bush and near creeks and things like that. 
And that's Pet Chat for today. Thank you, David Tavrot. Ah, thanks, Jane. Back next Friday after yep. the 12 o'clock news on 2NURFM. We've got news coming up at 1 o'clock in five minutes' time. And after that, we'll be talking travel with Sally Lucas.